Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Who Are You podcast by BiotropicLabs.com. Sports performance supplements for people who move. Use the code PODCAST20 if you want to try something out. The burden of proof is on me. And as always, a satisfaction guarantee. I've got a Who Are You today, one of my very good friends for quite some time. Very humble guy. He's not going to like this little bit of an intro here, but he's a famed financial markets trader, and his name is Courtney Smith. Hey, Courtney, thanks for showing up today and hanging out with me for a bit. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, I'm going to throw a, a common refrain at you, and I want to get your honest opinion on it. The quote goes something like this. Well, trading is really just gambling, right? Is that so? <laughs> yeah, I agree. But okay. But, but why isn't it just gambling? Once again, remember, I, I come from more of an economics background. So when you gamble, you are creating a risk that never existed before. Whereas trading is the assumption of a risk that already exists. So for example, if I go bet on the Belmont Stakes today, there is no risk. That horse is going to run around. Those horses are going to run around the track whether anybody gambles or not, okay? Because that's what they do. But if I put a bet down, I'm creating a risk and hopefully I'll make money from that bet. Okay. But what if I buy soybeans? Somebody has to be on the other side of my trade and I've assumed the risk that they didn't want to have. So I'm maybe a person who grows corn. So they say, you know what? I don't want the risk of corn prices going down, so I'll sell that risk to Courtney. So I assume the risk, which allows the farmer to now make money and grow corn, which we all eat. So I've assumed the risk from another party, but the risk was already there that the price of corn would go down. So there's a big, huge economic difference in society between, let's call it speculation or investing or trading, and gambling. Gambling creates a risk, whereas uh, speculation, investing, trading, whatever name you want to call it, is the, the assumption of a risk. So if I buy General Motors stock, I'm providing capital to General Motors so that they can build a new factory, hire new people, buy machine tools, market better, whatever. I'm providing them capital. If I put two bucks down on a nag in the Belmont, <laughs> that doesn't help society, except I guess the, the bookies. Yeah, and it keeps that jockey in business a little bit longer, sure. maybe. You know, you brought up something very, very interesting, which is hedging. And you talked about the farmer, his corn, his wheat, his oats, his soybean. There are yeah. farmers out there that grow this stuff, and you made a very good point. They're subject to price fluctuation. They're happy when prices go up because when they bring their stuff to the market, they get a premium. But if prices go down, they lose, and they've got a house mortgage. They've got all sorts of stuff required to farm out these, these commodities. So yeah, this is a subject called hedging and how farmers protect themselves. That was a great example you gave by selling that risk to you. Don't worry, folks, if you don't get it, it's not the simplest thing to, <laughs> to understand right out of the gate. But it's a great subject matter and a great educational piece for people to understand how farmers in America and all over the world, and that started here too. Didn't it start in Chicago? The it whole actually started in Japan, was Japan. the futures market. Uh, but then the, the sh it started in Chicago in the 1850s. So it soon came to Chicago because that was where the grain was being grown. But remember too, the stock market exists as a capital allocation tool. 
So if I'm really excited about uh, electric cars, I'm going to buy Tesla and allocate capital to Tesla. And if I think old inter internal combustion engines are bad, I'm going to sell my Ford stock and buy Tesla stock, which allocates capital in a society. And that a democratization of capital allocation. It's not being allocated by the king or by a bunch of uh, snooty bankers. It's anybody can allocate capital in the United States or in a Western country through the stock market. And that's important. We we all get a vote in which companies get capital and which companies get starved of capital. Well, that's the great thing about capitalism, you know, is Absolutely. that you, you get to have a vote and you get to make a choice and the weak yeah. players should get weeded out, called out of the market and the strong players should be, well, called in. Reverse calling. They should be fed more capital so that they can grow. If I'm in North Korea, I don't get a vote on how capital is allocated, right? No, Only horrifying. one guy gets to determine how capital is allocated. But in Western countries, it's democratized. Would you say that trading is really about making highly educated bets about a market going up or down? And I'm just taking a side. I'm just taking a bet. Is bet the wrong word or is bet the right word or is there a better word? I'd love to think that every one of my trades is a highly educated bet. But, you know, look, let's face it. Most people who invest in the market, uh, they're not making highly educated uh, bets and that's why they lose. And the word bet, look, we're not betting, we're not gambling, but we accept the word bet because there's an analogy with gambling, even though it's not gambling. It, you, you can trade in the markets as if it's gambling, though. You can do that. And, yeah, that's uh, always going to be a loser's proposition, too. And yes, because the casino is always going to take their money, i.e., I'm going to take their money. Well, the thing about gambling, if you think of trading as gambling, go to Vegas. Uh, you're just <laughs> going to have a hell of a lot more fun losing there because the mindset of people who go to Vegas for the weekend is, well, how much are you bringing? Well, I'm going to bring a thousand bucks. That's what I can afford to lose. When you go to Vegas, you have a fun losing mentality. You really don't expect to win you hope to win, but you're drinking, you're partying, you're staying up late, getting up late, having a good time. Right. That's really what gambling is for 99% yeah. of society. It's just That's going right. to have fun and how much are you going to lose? Right. And that word, I think, overlaid on trading is just going to end up being the same thing. Well, I'll only risk so much. I'll only do this no, no. risk. Look, I'll only you go to Vegas, they give you free drinks. Let's turn it around. To me, trading's a business. That's right. all it is. I could open a shoe store. Do I get emotionally involved in whether or not blue shoes sell or red shoes sell? No, but people get emotionally involved in their trades. What? That's just stupid. You see, the flip side is this, is that I told you, I don't really feel, I don't feel any negative emotions when I have a losing trade. But guess what? I don't have any positive emotions when I have a winning trade. I just don't care about any trade I do. They don't make any difference to me at all. I'm just sitting here trying to be a money-making machine. You see, most people trade for all kinds of reasons and not to make money. They want ego gratification. They want to show they're right. They want to show that they're smart. They want to solve a puzzle. I had one guy tell me he wanted to be a successful trader so he'd be sexy for his wife. Okay, So I'm sitting here and saying, I'm not trading for any psychological benefits. I do have one psychological benefit, but mainly I'm just sitting here doing it for the money. And as a result, I'm not going to get emotionally involved in any trade because why should I? It's just a trade. It's just another pair of shoes in my shoe store. That's just such a great way to put it. And so true are you. I, again, we mentioned the guy's name earlier, Sakota. His full name is Ed Sakota. He is also, like Michael Marcus and you, a great psychologist. I mean, he has a whole business aside from systems trading. The Trader's Tribe, Sakota's whole Trader's Tribe thing is all about breaking down the ego and getting it 
to a place where you can just be egoless in your trade and more emotionless in your trades. So you remove everything you just said, the sex appeal. Oh, hey, I'm a currency trader, a currency trader. Like there's something big and great and cool about being a currency trader, or I'm a wheat or soybean or a financial markets trader. These things all have sex appeal and they have power on the surface. They have nothing underneath it. They're just places that you can make money. And psychology absolutely gets in the way of this. And one of his famous quotes, he's very famous. You should look this guy up at Sakota and read his quotes. The problem with reading his quotes, by the way, is that if you don't know him, what you'll see on the surface of a lot of these quotes, you'll just outright disagree with because Ed is never saying what you see on the surface. There's a deeper meaning. And all I can ask you is if you do look him up and you do read some of his quotes, say to yourself, what could be the deeper meaning behind this, because that's what he's after. And one of his great sayings is, everybody gets what they want from the market. I'm going to let that lay there. I'll let you have the last word on it, because that gets into you and your psychology, the stuff you're made of, how you see the world, how you see yourself relative to your wife, as you just pointed out. Uh, Deep, 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 deep shit. And that's why psychology at the end of the day, once you know everything is a trader, for most people, There are exceptions to this rule, by the way, but for overwhelmingly, most people, you better get your psychology down because that is what's going to get in the way of your success as a trader. You've worked with Michael Marcus for a long time. You worked with me for a while. Did you ever see Michael Marcus or me ever get upset over a losing trade? No, I think no one handles a losing trade better than you. Nobody. Michael handles them pretty well. However, he did have some losing streaks and he would say, well, you know, even he handled them well. But what he would do is he would just go to the sidelines for a little while, take a week off, take a month off, go fish or boat and then come back to it. Yeah. So that's my point. My point is you you don't get emotionally involved in the trades. And another thing too is, I don't know if it applies to you, but I never talk about my trades to anybody. No. I mean, unless somebody's, you know, buying one of my newsletters and I'm telling them why I'm doing a trade. Otherwise, when I'm talking to other people, I never talk about my trades. I never talk about my winners. I never talk about my losers because who cares? They're all irrelevant. The question is, I need to have 100% control over the process. I need to execute flawlessly. And that is 100% of my control. And that's what I need to focus on. The trade itself, whether I'm buying General Motors or Copper or Euro FX, who cares? That's not relevant. What's relevant is that I am executing my plan flawlessly. That's all I focus on. In the event that we have somebody listening who wants to learn more about day trading, position trading, stock trading, commodities trading, options trading, trading of any kind, let's just take a minute, talk about your school and why you developed it and what you do to help people achieve success and wealth and making money in your school. So I basically retired in 2000. 2001. And, you know, we talked earlier about my number one mutual fund and newsletters and all that sort of stuff. I shut them all down. So even though I'm at the peak of my, you know, persona, I'm on TV two and a half times a week, I just said, that's it. I've had it. I don't want to do this anymore. And so I retired. But around 2007, and I moved, I lived in Geneva, I lived in Singapore, I lived in London, I moved all over the world at a great time. But in 2007, I kind of sat down and I said, you know what? I started to get pissed off. And what pissed me off is, I'll just ask you a question here, Craig. Um, Do you feel that your broker cares about you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I got the broker out of the scene so quick. I'm talking a long time ago. Does your bank sit around and worry about you at all? No. To that point, I just left Chase because I felt they didn't care enough about me. I said, I don't need you anymore. There's a lot of money in this bank. Screw you guys. I moved to a bank that didn't care 
any more than Chase, but gave me a few extra things. Okay. I, I guess what it is, is I've met a lot of really tremendous people in the financial industry, but the financial industry itself in toto doesn't care about its customers at all. And so I said, well, you know, listen, I'd like to help people out. I'm not a brain surgeon, so I can't, I can't help people, but I do know how to make money. So I started um, uh, Wealth Builder and uh, to really help people take control of their money. And, and that was really the, the genesis of it. And so we've developed online courses, uh, newsletters, um, live courses, which we take around the world to teach people from the basics up to advanced techniques in stocks, options, futures, and Forex. So that's what we do. That's what we do. And I'll put in the commercial, go to CourtneySmith.com and you can learn all about it. Yeah, I know you, you should, even if it's just for curiosity, so yeah. many people out there are interested in this anyway. And I know we're just, we're just about to get into the- Let me make a point here, Craig. Everybody should be interested in it. And let me, and let me tell you why. Absolutely. Just like you, they should be interested in politics. They're both running their lives, but go ahead. You've got money. It's sitting in the bank. It should be working for you 24 hours a day. You're nuts if you don't have your money working for you because that's how you build wealth. You mean I can do better than 0.003% in the bank? <laughs> yes. Or negative or negative interest rates? If you're European, you get negative interest rates. <laughs> so the, but the point is, is if you can make 10% or 20% or 30% or whatever, however much you want to make, that compounds over your lifetime so that you are always going to end up as a millionaire no matter what you start out with. And so people go through life and they're, they're, you know, oh, it's too risky to invest in the stock market. Well, it is if you do it wrong, but if you do it right, no, I'd rather have my money in the stock market than in, than in uh, a bank account because banks go belly up and inflation destroys my money. So it's a guaranteed loser to keep your money in the bank. At least in the stock market, I can overcome inflation and I can do all kinds of things and build a legacy for my children, my family. And the idea of having your money work for you instead of you work for your money, it's insane not to learn this stuff. Yeah, you know, I want to just drive the point home that your bank, they don't care. You know, unless you're Warren Buffett, they don't care. Unless you're loaning the bank money. And I have known people that were that wealthy. But yeah, your broker doesn't care. He's just in it for the commission. Banks don't care either. And that's really early on. I figured that out very, very quickly. I said, well, gee, if I'm going to lose money, well, I intend to win. But if I'm going to lose or when I lose, I don't want to be blaming anyone but myself. So I took it upon myself to learn everything I could possibly learn, read every book on Michael's shelf, worked on the floor for a little while. But I wanted to be the guy in control of my destiny. And that's why I think your classes are so good because they teach you how to take control of your own trading destiny. You had a phenomenal course or class one. I don't know if you offer it anymore. A brilliant technician like you, a brilliant fundamental trader like you, and a guy with your personality who is like Bryson, I mentioned earlier, able to distill the complicated down to easy to understand terms. It's so much fun to listen to. And you had a class, it was a weekly webinar called Gold Circle. Man, what a, similar. <laughs> what a treasure trove of knowledge and information where you would spend a half an hour or an hour, some amount of time giving really, really fun, valuable information, not only teaching people how to trade these markets, uh, but also for most people, the real fun part is you know, they want to hear the stocks that are happening or the commodities that are happening. They want to get the, uh, I'm not going to call them tips because you, you're not in that club. You don't give tips. You give good, solid, strong, fundamental reasons and technical reasons why to consider buying or selling a given stock. Great, great class. I love that class. What are you doing now that's like that? 
we have a thing called the Navigator program where we, uh, where I actually do a daily report. <laughs> now, every morning before the stock market opens, I do a short morning update where I go through the day's news and then explain the underlying geopolitics, geoeconomics, the underlying fundamentals, what's really going on behind the headlines. And then how can we make money from it? <laughs> That's amazing. Where do you get the energy? What? How could I not have the energy? I mean, really, <laughs> trading, my goal when I'm trading is to be a money-making machine, right? No emotions. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I don't need to trade. I don't need to do this. But what could be more exciting and, and entertaining than trading, particularly if you do fundamental analysis, which I do, because I get to engage with the world. I get to learn about all kinds of things about what's going on in the world. So, for example, we, we've been uh, playing the long side of cocoa. Why? Because there's a drought in Ghana. Why else would I ever watch weather patterns in Ghana? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, that's a more exotic example. But the point is, is that, you know, what impact does COVID have on the economy? Okay, well, let's not look at the headlines because the newspapers are always wrong. The TV news is always wrong. Let's find out about reality. Let's learn what's really going on. Well, I love knowing about reality rather than the fantasy world that politicians or corporate CEOs or TV news tells us. That's a fantasy world. I like to know reality, and I find that exciting and really entertaining. But you just said something again, I'm going to just point out, I think is brilliant. And it's a reason why names like Courtney Smith and Sakota and Marcus and Schwartz and Bacon, Kovner, we haven't mentioned Kovner, another no, brilliant name writer. out there, continue to come up over and over again. I'm going to bring Sakota up again. Sakota was one of the subjects in the book, Market Wizards, which by the way, folks, Courtney was almost in two for various reasons. Uh, it didn't happen, but Courtney was a candidate for being in that book too, just so you know, among there with the great traders of all time. But one of Ed Sakota's Real simple. This is how simple it can be once you have background. You got to have the background. Sakoda would pick up Time Magazine or Newsweek or whatever magazine it was. And it found the front cover, it said, market at all time high. Everyone's happy. Everyone's buying. To your point, to what you just said, magazines get it wrong. The newspapers get it wrong. Right to that point, Sakoda would say, that's the time to be selling. The inverse of that, of course, is, you know, market at all time low. Will the pain ever end? Where is the bottom? It'll never go away. That's the time to be buying. But just to point out, the comment you just made is heralded by some of the greatest traders of all time. No question. So, uh, I like to study the old guys, like in the, in the 1800s and 1900s. And well, that's when it was real. The reason the old books matter, folks, and, and some of the new books are good, but a lot of the new books are like movie stars today. They just want to be stars. They just want to get published. But there was a time just like in old Hollywood, there was a time that people acted for the art of it. And there were a time when people wrote financial trading books, believe it or not, for the art of it. They really wanted to distill knowledge and information. It wasn't about making money, which by the way, I'm happy yeah. that anyone can make any amount of money they can. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there was a time when these people really wrote detailed stuff and really wanted to pass knowledge and information on to you. So I stole your thunder there, but why do you like the <laughs> no, old books? No, I was just going to say back to the cover of the magazines, one of the old sayings from 100 years ago was, when you feel like crying, you ought to be buying. <laughs> you feel like, like yelling, you ought to be selling. Your point was simply this. Remember, remember I said that when I first started, there was only about five books available. Yes, you know, were some of those books written to make money? Yes. But if you're talking about Keltner writing how to trade wheat, that was never going to be a big bestseller. 
But, you know, I'm looking at myself and every book I've ever written, I only wrote books on subjects that nobody had ever written about, which is why I haven't written a book in 10 years because now books are a dime a dozen. There you go. But when I wrote my first book in 1979, there was only five or six books written on the subject, on, on trading. So I felt like I was contributing knowledge to other people. Now there's a million books. I can't differentiate between them. Back then, Larry Williams had written a few books, you know, and so on and so forth. But there weren't that many up until really the 1980s. And then, then lots of people started writing books. Can you explain how you can sell something you don't own, like gold? Let's say I want to trade the commodities market. I want to buy and sell gold or buy and sell silver or buy and sell crude. How can I sell something I don't own? How does that work? I'm going to actually add in stocks here as well because- uh, That's going to be the next question. So put them together. If you trade futures, you're actually not selling gold. You're entering into a contract to deliver gold at a specific date at a specific time in the future. So you're actually not selling it. You're just agreeing to sell it sometime in the future. But of course, you don't actually sell it. You buy back the contract before it comes to delivery month or else you do have to deliver 100 ounces of gold. We say, I'm going to sell gold. You're not really selling gold. You're entering into a contract. In the stock market in the United States, the law is if I want to sell short, General Motors stock, I have to borrow it from somebody, then sell the shares, and then later buy back the shares and give back the shares to the person I borrowed them from. Would it be fair to say another way to explain the commodity side of it? Uh, how do you sell something you don't own? Would, it, would another way to say it that would be clearer for, for the layman is another way to say it like, look, when you're trading commodities and you're wondering how it is you sell something you don't own, don't think of it that way. Just think of it like this. You have a, a bias for some reason. You have a belief, let's say, that gold oh. is going to go down and the, the uh, trading apparatus in the marketplace simply allows you to, again, to use a term earlier, loosely make a bet in the marketplace that gold's going to go down. Yeah. yeah. Or when you're yeah. buying gold, you're yeah. not actually buying gold. You're not buying 100 troy ounces of gold at what, 1,600 bucks an ounce. You're, right. you're just making a bet. These, by the way, I bet I want to be clear, it's a loose term. This is not gambling. Right. These are educated uh, guesses, if you will, highly educated yeah. guesses based on a lot of experience, a lot of reading, a lot yeah. of teaching from someone well, like you. Or a, system. or a system. I've got one last question to ask you before we get now to the theme. It's been fun. I, I love talking to you. It's just always a blast here. And it's been a good background here. I wanted to just really set up your background here because we're just about to get to this whole current market condition and your point of view, sell off the V, all that stuff. We're going to get there in just a second here. But before I do, would you explain to me two of your trading systems and how they work? Because even with trading systems, you might have tens upon tens of systems that I as a new trader can learn. But I might find based on, again, on my personality and my psychology, even though all of them are designed to make money, to remove emotion and get you where you want to be, which is profitable, I still might find, because everybody's made differently and we, and we as human beings resonate differently with stuff that's coming at us. So you might have 20 or 30 systems and I'll call that stuff, uh, but maybe half a dozen of those resonate with my personality. They make me feel a certain way that those work better for me. Give me two of your systems. The reason for all of that was just to explain that even though there are many, many, many systems that you have designed, there still might be just a half a dozen or so that resonate with your psychology when you get into the markets, you like the way they work. Give me two of those systems. One core technique we have is based on Richard Doncian. What was Doncian famous for again? 
he invented several of the most profitable trading techniques ever in the early 1960s. He published a monograph on them. And really, Ed Sakota got his ideas from Don Chin. I think maybe Michael Marcus got some of his early ideas from Don Chin. I got them, Richard Don Chin, you know, so many Very influential. Extremely influential. Yep. Exactly right. You know, so then over time, we've adapted them and tested them and improved over what Donchin did. But we always have to honor the guy who came up with the original idea. And his original idea is still profitable today. So when people say, oh, it's hard to make money in the stock market, I go, no, it's incredibly easy if you allow it to be easy. Yeah, you're, it's incredibly hard because really, again, you're in the way. That's right. Yeah, the technique is profitable. Are you going to be profitable? Right. Well, follow the technique, you will be. But if you don't follow the technique, you won't be. So Richard Donchin, he started out with what he called the four-week rule. Nowadays, we'd call that a 20-day uh, channel. So just very briefly, what you would do is you, you're standing here today, and you look back in time 20 days. And you say, well, what was the highest price that the market traded, or let's say it's General Motors stock, what was the highest price General Motors sold in the last 20 days? Then you look back and you see what was the lowest price it traded for in the last 20 days. Okay, so now today we have what we call the 20-day high and the 20-day low. Now let's say we go till tomorrow. Well, tomorrow we do the same process. Well, we've dropped one day off and we've added one day in the future, right? Does that make sense? So now we have a slightly different 20 days. So it's possible that the 20-day high and 20-day low have changed. They might be the same. They might be different. Okay. So the rules are very simple. If today the price goes above the 20-day high, you buy. And if it goes below the 20-day low, you sell. That's the whole system. So let's follow one trade. If today the price goes, let's say the 20-day the, the, the high is 55 and the 20-day low is 50. So if the price goes to 55.10, I buy. So now I'm long 100 shares of General Motors. If it goes down to 50 and breaks the 20-day low, I sell my 100 shares of General Motors and I sell short 100 shares of General Motors. And my stop loss and switch from short to long would be the, the new 20-day high. So all I'm doing is going from long to short, long to short, depending on are we in a bull market or a bear market. It's so simple that people can't follow those simple rules. But that technique has been profitable every year since 1961 when he put out that technique. That's simple, super simple technique. And people say it can't be that simple. It is that simple if you allow it to be that simple. That's the trick here is the reason it's uh, not that simple to people is they've done a little bit of trading and they've lost because once again, this is why psychology is so critical. Their yeah. psychology tends to get in the way of success. No question. I just say, follow the rules. Yeah. People send me emails and they say, well, Courtney, I'm in this trade and you know, what should I do? And I say, follow the rules. And then other people will say, well, what do you do, Courtney? What are you doing now? And I say, I follow the rules. I follow the rules. Because I realize that when I don't follow the rules, I lose money. When I follow yeah. these super, super simple rules, I make money. Okay. So what we found is that 20 days is not the optimal amount. You can make more money if it's longer. So right now I use a 55-day channel, not a 20-day channel. But 20 days profitable, 55-day channel is more profitable. What's the average length of a trade in that system uh, before it terminates itself? 
the winners go weeks and months. Right. That's I almost backed out of the question because I just realized these things yeah. can go on for the losers. The yeah. losers tend to be. I'm out in a couple of weeks. The winners tend to go on for months. I love hearing you put it that way because this is part of what you have to do. You've got to get to some losers to get to some winners. And some of your winners, if they happen to you right out of the gate, are going to get cut back by some of your losers. But the point is that the way you just described that is that the winners will at some point override and overcome your losses, and that's. How people make money trading. And that's it for this episode three. Stand by for four. It's coming up. You've been listening to the Who Are You podcast, brought to you by Biotropic Labs, sports performance supplements for people who move. Join us next time for another edition of the Who Are You podcast.